0: You're listening to The Reconditioned Podcast, and today I have Dr. Larry Pilevsky back for the second time. His episode about the COVID injection on episode 61 is now the most downloaded episode of the whole podcast, and today he's back to give us all the information we could possibly need when making decisions around childhood vaccinations. Here goes.
1: Your personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away.
0: Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans, I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true, long lasting well being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Before we get stuck into the uninterrupted episode, I wanted to let you know why I am such a huge fan of the company supporting this season of recondition, the Endo Clinic in Harley Street, who specialize in biological dentistry. Now, you might recall me speaking about my journey with biological dentistry, both here on the podcast and over on my Instagram, and all of it was conducted over at Indu. So those of you who have been here for a while will remember that I was suffering from trigeminal neuralgia, which is otherwise known as the suicide disease and it really was that bad. And three dentists over 18 months had told me it was nothing to do with my teeth. But After a colleague told me about biological dentistry and I've been reading numerous books on the subject and I watched the film Root Cause, which I highly recommend you all watching, I found the Endo Clinic and they absolutely ticked every box I was told to look for. And I really was told to tick off these boxes to ensure that they were genuinely taking a biological approach to dentistry. So that's everything from safe mercury removal protocols to ceramic inlays and ceramic implants and a general health optimization approach. They use absolutely no metal at all. They work on the basis that our immune function is lowered during dental procedures, which is just something that you don't get at all with conventional dentistry. The possible connection between My Health Concern and dentistry was found in the first consultation. Again, something that all these other dentists and facial pain specialists at, honestly, some of London's top hospitals were not able to see. Because what they know is that previous dental treatments can lead to jaw cavitations, something that only those who are trained in biological dentistry know how to look out for. Now during my procedure I was given IV vitamin infusions, ozone therapy and this state-of-the-art plasma PRF treatment which was all to ensure that we were giving the body the very best chance to heal and there's also a whole pre-treatment protocol as well. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know how much my life's journey has been about health optimization so this was just revelatory to me and the trigeminal neuralgia went away the very next day. And it's not just facial problems. We now know that up to 70% of chronic health conditions can be as a result of conventional dentistry treatments and misconceptions surrounding oral care. I honestly recommend this clinic to everyone I know. And if you are experiencing any dental, facial or chronic health problems, or you just want your teeth looked after by a team who truly understand the long-term way to keep teeth and gums healthy, go to nduclinic.com. The clinic are offering a 10% discount off your initial consultation for anyone who mentions coming through Lauren. And this will include dental exam, x-rays, 3D scans, and even your first hygienist appointment. So that is nduclinic.com. Thank you to NDU. Welcome back everyone. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have Dr. Larry Palevsky back on the show. Today, the last episode, he was on episode 61, has become the most downloaded episode of all time. Times, I don't even know what has been downloaded a heap of times. Because it was about the COVID injection and so many of you want to educate yourselves, yay! So go back and listen to that if you haven't already because it's super informative. And last time we had intended to talk about the childhood vaccinations, but that subject did require an episode on its own so I got him back to talk about childhood vaccinations I wanted this to be a one-stop shop for parents who are questioning vaccines educating themselves on vaccines wanting to get all the information they can and understand vaccines totally so that they can make an informed Choice because that is what we should be doing. We should never be putting anything into our bodies or our children's bodies without knowing exactly what they do. And in this episode, Dr. Pilevsky really gives us the lowdown, all the information we could possibly need about how vaccines work, how each of the individual vaccines work as well, and some information that, you know, really you might have been asking about specific vaccinations, specific side effects or symptoms linked to specific vaccinations. We really go into all of it and kind of break it all down for you. So it really is a one-stop shop for information on childhood vaccinations. So I hope you enjoy it. Get a notebook ready, but you'll probably want to rewind and maybe listen to this a couple of times. And please share it with any other parents you know who are approaching making these decisions, anyone who might be pregnant or thinking of having kids. I know that I did my research on vaccines before I was even thinking about getting pregnant. It was something I knew I wanted to educate myself on. We shouldn't wait until the last minute to start doing our education. If you have already got kids, that's also fine. It's great that you're here educating yourselves, but let's try and take responsibility by doing this as far in advance as we can so we're not in the situation where we're under pressure and we understand how to make these decisions. So share it with others who you think might benefit from it. Basically all parents or anyone who wants to be a parent at any point. And if you enjoy the podcast or any of the episodes, please do leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the podcast and get in touch with me over on Instagram where I post uh, snippets of all these episodes at Lauren Vaknin because I love engaging with you. So here we are. Here is Dr. Lawrence Pelewski So welcome back, Dr. Pelewski
1: Oh, thank you. It's great to be here again.
0: I can call you Larry now, right? I feel like we know each other. so we did read out your very extensive bio in the last episode so for anyone who wants to hear that it's episode 61 and i'd really recommend for everyone to go back and listen to that episode anyway where we spoke all about the covid injection it's actually the most downloaded episode of all time now so (laughs) that was huge everyone obviously was just desperate to get the information on that. So I won't go into your bio again, but just to say that you do have so many credentials and, you know, people need to know that your credibility really is up there with the best of them. And you're one of the most well-educated, well-researched people I've ever come, come across. So for anyone listening who wants to know more about that, just go back to episode 61. You can hear all about Dr. Palevsky's background and it'll all be written in the show notes here as well. So last time we spoke, as I said, about the COVID injection, and we were going to touch on the childhood vaccination but we didn't have time and we wanted to give the COVID one the time that it deserved because there was so much information that people wanted to hear. So this time, based on your immense knowledge and experience with childhood vaccinations, I thought we could talk about that in depth and give parents kind of a one-stop shop for everything they need to know about childhood vaccines. So um, let's go in at the deep end. Do vaccines work?
1: Uh (laughs) Ah. So the, the the premise of vaccination is that if you give a child a killed or inactivated virus or a piece of a bacteria and you inject it into the body, that you will preempt the child's exposure to the organism because it's believed that the only time a child would be exposed to the organism is if someone's sick gives it to them. So that's the premise of vaccination, that you do not have the organism in your body unless someone is sick and gives it to you, unless you catch the organism from someone who's sick. And so the idea is that you get an inactivated piece of the virus or a killed part of the virus or you get a piece of the bacteria And you're going to now have an immune response, excuse me, you're going to now have an immune response against those bacteria or viruses in preparation for some future time when you will be exposed to the organism because exposure is only believed to happen when someone is sick and gives them to you. Now, unfortunately, that belief system is incorrect. The idea that you can only be exposed to a bacteria or virus when someone is sick and gives it to you is false. And here's why. The human body in adults has over a hundred trillion bacteria lining the surfaces of the body. Those surfaces include the skin, the nose all the way down to the lungs, the mouth all the way down to the anus, and in women, the reproductive system. In addition, the body has hundreds of thousands of pieces of genes that make viruses embedded inside the genetic material of our cells. So alongside all the genes that make up our body, which is not a lot, there are hundreds of thousands of genes that make viruses and virus-like particles. And so our body is filled with microorganisms as adults, and the bacteria that are lining our body contain hundreds of trillions of viruses inside them as well. And just to throw in a wrench, the human cells other than the red blood cells all have mitochondria. Mitochondria are the fuel centers of the cells. These mitochondria were former bacteria that lived in the environment that then became parts of our cells. And they contain who knows how many millions of pieces of genetic material that probably, potentially, could contain viral genetic material. So this idea that the only way for the human body to get sick with a germ is for someone to give it to us is ancient and archaic and is gone, essentially gone. So. When I ask parents, okay, so we have 100 trillion bacteria lining our body, and I say, how do they get there? And they kind of look at me like, I don't know. And I say, well, we breathe them in, we eat them, and we touch them. Now, a baby in utero doesn't have 100 trillion bacteria lining the surfaces of the body. But when the baby comes into the world, at some point, that baby is going to progress to being colonized with over 100 trillion bacteria. And guess what? Nothing happens to the baby. Because the baby gets colonized by breathing in air, eating food, and being touched. And so mere exposure to these germs does not equal, I'm going to get sick. And so if we look at the bacteria that we vaccinate against, diphtheria, it's an airborne bacteria. Pertussis, it's an airborne bacteria. Haemophilus influenza B, it's an airborne bacterium. Streptococcus pneumonia, the Prevnar, PCV13 vaccine. There are 13 bacteria in that shot. That's an airborne bacterium. And then tetanus, which is uh, a, a bacterium that lives in the gut, but also can be ingested as an airborne bacteria. So that's 17 bacteria that we vaccinate against, 16 of which are known to be colonized in the airway, one of which, tetanus, is known to be airborne and swallowed. If we're, especially if we're on a farm or we're in an area where there are horses or dirt, soil. Then you have four more bacteria, Neisseria meningitis, which we don't give to kids until the age of 12 in the United States. It contains four bacteria of the 13 Neisseria meningitis family. And those colonize in the upper airway. So those are also airborne. So you have 21 bacteria against which we vaccinate, 20 of which naturally colonize the upper airway or the lower airway, one of which colonizes the gut but can be received into the gut merely by breathing in spores of the tetanus bacterium that fly in the air. When you're walking through a farm or an area where there's manure. So 21, 21 bacteria. And yet, when a baby comes into the world, the baby is coming into the world and breathing in the beginnings of a hundred trillion bacteria and exposed to all of them. And so The philosophy is that the 17 bacteria that we vaccinate kids against in the first year of life, 16 of which are airborne, somehow are not in the air, and we won't be exposed to them. But the 100 trillion minus 16, you will be exposed to. And, Lauren, that just makes no sense. Because... We're going to breathe in everything that's in the air. And the idea that the ones that we vaccinate against won't get into the airway unless someone is sick and gives it to us, but the 100 minus 16 will get into the airway without being exposed to someone who's sick is preposterous. So exposure to germs is almost a guarantee, but not a guarantee to get sick. So what happens when the body breathes in these bacteria? The body says, hello, hi, I recognize you, or "Uh, we're going to take care of you. We're not going to let you fight us. And that's why, for the most part, when a baby comes out into the world and gets exposed to these bacteria, there's almost no adverse event, almost none. And so something happens to make these bacteria friendly. There's some combination of friendliness between the body's immune system and those bacteria. So exposure is almost a guarantee. But if the bacteria are recognized by the human immune system as friendly, now we inject a piece of that bacteria into the body. We teach the immune system to see that as an enemy. So your body will mount an immune response against those bacteria. And now the immune system will find those bacteria that are probably already in your body and fight it. But here's the problem. We assume that the pieces of the bacteria that we inject into the body are only genetically specific to the bacteria that we inject. I'm sorry, let me say that again, because I don't want to confuse anybody. We assume that the, the genetic material of the pieces of bacteria that we inject into the body are only genetic materials specific to the bacteria, but that's incorrect also because there are pieces of the bacteria's genetic material that are similar to many different tissues that we may have in the body. So not only are we teaching the body to mount an immune response against the genetic material of those bacteria that we may have already been exposed to and been okay with, we are increasing the risk of the immune system finding the genetic material of those bacteria that may also be in other places in the body that then cause the immune system to reject itself. Because we don't realize that the genetic material of bacteria are not that much dissimilar to other genetic materials that we have as tissues in our body. And so one of the most Uh, unfortunate conditions that we're seeing in humanity today is autoimmune conditions, where you're actually taking your immune system and saying, reject itself. Mm -hmm. And it gets even worse with viruses. Because remember, we're taught that you don't have the virus unless someone is sick and gives it to you. But if bacteria are carrying hundreds of trillions of viruses, and the human genome, the human genes that contain the information to make our physical body also have viral genetic material embedded inside the chromosomes, then you're potentially giving the body a piece of a killed virus or an attenuated virus that you're telling the body to reject and then imagining that the only genetic material that you will find is in that virus and nowhere else in the body. Well, that's false also. So not only will you increase the potential for your body's immune system to reject the virus material that you injected, but any cross-reactivity, any similarity of the genetic material of those viruses and viruses that are in your body or tissues that's in your body that are similar genetically is going to cause a rejection of your body and again autoimmune disease is highly highly and exponentially on the rise and that's the problem the problem is that we automatically assume that if you're not sick with the germ You haven't been exposed to it, so it couldn't be in your body, and then we assume that the genetic material of that uh, virus or bacteria doesn't have any similarities anywhere else in the body, so there are no tissues that are also going to be rejected once you mount an immune response against those bacteria and viruses, and so do vaccines work? Well, they're based on false premises. And they're also based on the understanding that there's only one way for a disease to go away. And that's with vaccines. Mm -hmm. And that's false also. Because history shows us that illnesses came and went. And I want to emphasize the word went illnesses came and went without vaccines. And when I bring that up to people, their first response is, well, look how many people died. I said, yes, look how many people recovered, right? So there's, there, there's scientific literature precedence for illnesses going away before we had vaccines. And we have completely done a frontal lobotomy when it comes to, are there other ways for illnesses to go away? Or are there other ways to prevent illness? And we have become one track mind. The only way for an illness to go away is through a vaccine. And so I'm gonna do a deeper dive into this, Lauren. If you're okay with that. Absolutely. Okay. We assume, let's take measles, for example. We assume that because of the measles vaccine, and we don't see measles anymore, we make the assumption that we got rid of the disease. The unfortunate thinking, and I put the word thinking in quotes because it's not thinking, it's dogma. The unfortunate thinking is that if you don't see the disease, the germ somehow was eradicated. The germ is somehow no longer in existence. And that's an unfortunate thought process because it's not thought at all. Because we've never proven that if the disease goes away, the germ is no longer in existence on Earth. That's unfortunate. That's very, very debilitating in the thought process because This idea that a vaccine makes the germ immediately implode and the genetic material of that germ is no longer around is really a lie, because it's never been studied that the germ is no longer alive uh, uh, around. And the fact that we can make the jump, that if we don't see the disease, the germ somehow has disappeared. I I don't understand how we make that jump and, and can live with ourselves for making that jump, because it's a huge jump. So where is measles? Okay, so the interesting thing about this is if you give a measles vaccine, somehow the belief system is that we have eradicated measles by giving the vaccine. Now, number one, how can you eradicate a disease? when you're injecting the actual live virus into the body, right? So they're injecting the live measles, the live mumps, and the live rubella, so they say. And then they're saying that's going to make the germ disappear from the face of the earth. Well, number one, we've never proven it. And if people say, well, we don't see measles, mumps, and rubella very much anymore, it's not around as much anymore, Uh, that doesn't mean that the genetic material of the measles, mumps, and rubella viruses are not around, right? Because again, that leap, that vaccination makes the genetic material of the viruses disappear is a leap. There's no science to show, well, but we don't see the disease. Oh, but that doesn't mean You don't have the germ around. It just means it's not active in the way you know it to be active. So we think that if by giving a live virus, injecting it into the body, we're going to somehow make those diseases go away when we're actually putting the live illness into the body. But you see, here's the problem. Kids who are getting sick are no longer labeled as having measles, mumps, or rubella anymore because we think that we vaccinated it away. So when kids present with measles, mumps, and rubella, we are calling it something else because we can't fathom that it could be measles, mumps, or rubella. So we're renaming disease even though we're seeing measles, mumps, and rubella. We're seeing it. We just don't call it anymore. So therefore, it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure my son had rubella right. and the doctor didn't know what it was. Of course. <laughs> doctors don't know how to diagnose it anymore either because they they're not seeing it. They're not studying well,
1: it. I know how to diagnose this and I've seen it. But the bigger problem here is that how do we know that we haven't created chronic measles, chronic mumps, or chronic rubella infections? Because remember something, You're injecting the genetic material, supposedly the genetic material of measles, mumps, rubella into the body. You're assuming that the body has never seen measles, mumps, rubella virus before, even though we know that there are hundreds of trillions of viruses inside the body, in the cells and in the bacteria, where they could be found, even though that genetic material of viruses may also be similar to genetic material of tissues of the body, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So the assumption is that we've never seen measles, mumps, rubella before. We're mounting an immune response against measles, mumps, and rubella genetic material. And how do we know that once those live viruses are injected into the body, they don't continue to replicate? How do we know that we're not making chronic measles, mumps, and rubella infections in children
0: that are presenting in a different way, is what you're saying?
1: Correct. Mm. Right. Like neurodevelopmental disability. Mm. Right. Because there's material in the MMR vaccine that allows for the delivery of anything in the bloodstream and probably anything in the vaccine to be delivered into the brain. Mm. So when you see parents, Who are screaming at the top of their lungs, my child was fine, got the MMR, and soon after regressed into not speaking, not looking at me, uh, sad, depressed, uh, spinning around in circles, uh, banging his head against the wall, having massive explosive diarrhea. And everyone says, no, can't possibly be from the MMR. And yet you open up the package insert, and there are ingredients in there that can bring the vaccine materials into the brain. How could you turn your back and say, no, it has nothing to do with the MMR. And so we have a good chance of creating chronic measles, mumps, rubella illnesses once we inject those materials into the body. And so we say, well, we've eradicated measles, mumps, and rubella. Because the vaccine makes the germ disappear, and it's only the unvaccinated that could possibly carry the measles, mumps, rubella, because the vaccine is supposed to make it disappear. Well, how could the vaccine make it disappear when you're actually using the live organism to inject into the body? And if never traced, well, what happens after you inject the live organism? Does it get disintegrated, or does the body keep replicating it? And so if you keep replicating it, does it shed? Or if you keep replicating it, are you creating a chronic measles, mumps, or rubella infection? Hmm. And so, yeah, you might not see the classic acute measles, the classic acute mumps, or the classic acute rubella syndrome anymore.
0: And is that because of the vaccine?
1: Well, it's because we're renaming it, right? and we're creating more chronic expressions of it rather than allowing for acute expressions of it. Because remember, you're putting the genetic material of these three viruses into the body, supposedly, and then you're mounting an immune response against the genetic material of these viruses, supposedly, and then you're praying that there's no similarity in the genetic material of these viruses with your own body so that hopefully you're not creating an autoimmune disease all the time. And so people will say, well, I got the MMR, my kids got the MMR and they're fine. I'm like, well, how do you know? How do you know when none of the investigation has been done to understand what happens to the human body after these three live viruses are injected into the body?
0: Well, Andy Wakefield did it, but (laughs) look what happened.
1: you know and and the, the tragedy is that he never said that MMR caused autism mm. He never said that which is the tragedy. he said something very different um, but but he was a he was a smear campaign go get him so we're we're assuming a lot when we inject these materials into the body we're assuming a lot about a physiological and immunological and neurological, you know, reactions that we don't know happen in the body. We're just saying, well, if you give the vaccine, you give the live viruses, they're going to disappear. And see, we don't see the acute infections anymore. I'm like, well, that's not true. We call it something else because we refuse to acknowledge that it could be. And two, we may have chronic expressions of those illnesses and we may have autoimmune expressions of those illnesses because we've injected something into the body that may cross-react with other parts of our tissues that lead to other diseases so we may be having these diseases we're just not calling them chronic measles or chronic mumps or chronic rubella
0: can i just ask a couple of questions here before we go more into that so I've got young kids, obviously, and so I'm around a lot of young kids and see young kids, and most of my friends, well, not my closest friends, but most people we know vaccinate their kids. And I haven't seen anything that looks like measles for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit here, we don't really see that as much anymore, not in the way that, you know, I mean, my mum talks about measles parties, you know, when they were younger which I was well up for, to put my kids in, you know, but we don't really, We I haven't seen that, I haven't seen, you know, a severe measles. So why is that? And is, you know, okay, so is the vaccine, the vaccine is p- perhaps it making that present as something different. Right. So are you saying that the vaccine isn't stopping the measles, but what it's doing is Instead of presenting as measles as we know it with all the spots, it's presenting as something different,
1: correct? Correct, right? Because, okay, because let, let's let's step back for a second. Almost every viral infection is um, an expelling of material out through the surface. So, if you look at the measles infection, it's cough, coryza, conjunctivitis, and fever, and that's the three C's cough. Coryza, which is lots of mucus coming down the nose and coming out of the airway, conjunctivitis, red eyes. And most physicians today wouldn't know it's cough, coryza, conjunctivitis because they're not taught what measles looks like anymore. And then the rash. And rubella, similar, fever, a rash, do a little different, not as severe symptoms. But the the key feature of almost every viral infection is the movement of material in the body out to the surface. Mm. Every, every, just about every viral illness out to the surface.
0: And that's a good thing, right? So like if if, if a child was to present with measles as we see it in our minds, that would be a healthy expression of a healthy immune system. Correct.
1: Expelling it. Correct. And, and. So what I was taught in medical school back in the 1980s and from pediatricians who had trained and worked in New York from the 1940s up to the 1980s and 90s was that they understood childhood illnesses as a pruning process. Mm-hmm. And if you if you learn Chinese medicine or understand homeopathy or ayurvedic medicine or herbal, you know, uh, naturopathy, the true, the true science of these fields. You will understand that the onset of these illnesses is actually a cleanse. It's a purge. Mm. It's a detox. It's a pruning. It's a rite of passage. It's an effort by the body to uh, remove waste toxins, impurities, inflammatory materials. And to get the body cleansed to a point where you can continue to move forward, right? And the pediatricians who trained us said we would always see developmental growth spurts after our children would have these illnesses. Mm -hmm. And when I started practicing this way over 20 years ago, parents would start to see exactly what I had seen almost 40 years ago which was the children would have their illnesses and they would have developmental growth spurts. So now what we're seeing with kids getting these shots is developmental delay, which means that the ability to expel, to bring out to the surface, to cleanse, detoxify and get rid of impurities has reduced. So what you're seeing is all these children with chronic illnesses because the inflammation, the impurities, the toxins are spinning around in the body like you would in a traffic circle, but not going out to any of the tributaries. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're seeing. You're seeing chronic conditions because the expelling or the rising of material out to the surfaces has failed. And it's failed because we've taught the body to now see these organisms as enemies versus the body's usage of these organisms as a way to cleanse, purge, and detoxify. And so there's no doubt in those of us who've been doing this for several decades, there's no doubt that the children who don't receive these shots have fewer chronic illnesses. There's no doubt. It's in the literature already. But those of us who've been doing it for decades, and those parents who had children who were vaccinated and vaccine injured, and then had more kids and did not vaccinate their kids, they saw the difference in the health of their kids. They see it all the time. They see the kids who were given the shots are much more chronically sick than those who did not get the shots who are not chronically sick. But here's something interesting. And that those unvaccinated kids recover quicker from acute illnesses. Whereas the children with the chronic illnesses take longer to recover because their bodies are chronically sick. I'm sorry, what did you say?
0: No, I was just gonna say what's interesting is I met someone once, because obviously I was vaccine-injured, and that's you know where the rheumatoid arthritis came from. And I met another family whose daughter had had the same situation. And at 15 months, she got diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, similar to me, following the MMR. Um, Mine was still the measles rubella vaccine. It wasn't the MMR yet. So that was interesting. Um, But this girl was a bit younger than me. And then her sister was born. And because her parents had noticed that it was right after the MMR, they didn't vaccinate her. She still got arthritis later because there is this genetic component but let's talk about the variables of that because then they what they said was well then it must not have been the vaccines and i said but this isn't the epigenetic aspect of it so what how else are you living your life what's that child Mm -hmm. eating when that child gets sick are you suppressing it with paracetamol what else is going on because both of your children are genetically predisposed to rheumatoid arthritis so it needs a trigger. The trigger could be a vaccine, but it could be something else. Correct. And I just wanted to mention that because that happens, there are gonna be other people that see that. Well, my second kid didn't have the vaccine and she still got sick. Were you eating McDonald's every day?
1: Right. So, um, I mean, you bring up a great point and we I can't comment about that family because I don't know if she got any shots at all.
0: Mm-hmm. She may
1: still have gotten some shots. She may not have gotten that MR shot. Mm-hmm but she still may have gotten some shots.
0: Yeah, that's true as well. I, I so don't know if she got I, the baby shots.
1: I can't comment. And But you bring up another point that I can comment on, which is that um, I live with the philosophy that it ain't enough to not vaccinate.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Right? And so that's really the theme of the work that I'm doing now in teaching and in my office, mm-hmm. which is it ain't enough to not vaccinate. We have to look at the body, mind, and spirit of your children to understand what is most needed for your children's optimal health. And when people ask me, well, how do I strengthen my child's immune system? Uh, I'm very disturbed by that question. And the reason I'm disturbed is because that question starts out with the premise, my child is weak. How do I strengthen it? Mm. And the real question that needs to be asked, which again is under the umbrella, it ain't enough to not vaccinate, is how do I not weaken my child's immune system? Mm-hmm. Because it's already strong to start. Yeah. And so then we look at all the ways in which we feed our children, all the ways in which we bring air to them, we let them breathe, all the ways in which we put food in their stomach or let them eat because sometimes they don't eat food, they eat other things. We look at what we put on their skin, which then feeds the body's information centers. We look at what we inject into their bodies, which again is information that the body must uh, utilize and understand. And then we look at what we put into their nervous system. So what we put into their senses, what we expose them to, what we, uh, how we schedule them, how we talk to them, how we understand them, how we guide them, how we teach them, and how we look at their spirits and nurture their spirits. And so that's a whole load of responsibility, mm-hmm. but that's a load of responsibility that you took on when you decided to have a child. Absolutely. And so there are, uh, I, most of my, my focus now is to try to create the right nurturing of the spirit of the child. Because a child who is nurtured correctly is going to have a strength that no other child can possibly have. And so what do I mean by nurturing the spirit of a child? Can you see the world through your child's eyes, but guide them through your eyes? Right. So when when a when a a parent, when I meet a parent and a parent is holding an infant or with a toddler and every one of the parents says to the kids, say hi to Dr. Larry. And I look at the kid and I say, you do not have to say hi to me. And I said, the reason you don't have to say hi to me is because you're not a puppet and you don't have marionette strings behind your neck that decide what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And then the parents will look at me and say, well, how does my child learn? I say, well, obviously you being taught how children learn is incorrect mm-hmm. because children learn by modeling, not by you telling them what to do. Yeah. And I, And the biggest example that I use in that, Lauren, is the men are from Mars, women are from Venus example.
0: Yeah.
1: When uh, um, a husband or a spouse comes home and the wife or spouse starts yelling and screaming and the other spouse says, calm down, right? How is that different than say hi, calm mm-hmm. down, say hi. Yeah,
0: this is how you should feel right now.
1: Right, so I look at the the, the, the spouse and I say, how do you feel if someone says to you, calm down? Well, I'm just going to get angrier. I'm going to yell. I said, so if you're giving that kind of order to your kid, to your to your spouse, what do you think is going to happen when you give that kind of order to your kid? They're not going to listen. And then the parent looks at me like, all right, so what do I do? Right? Mm-hmm. Because the most common thing I hear is, well, my kid doesn't listen to me. Well, of course, because you're telling them to calm down. You're telling them to stop yelling. And you know that when it happens to you, you get nuts. You go crazy because you can't tolerate that kind of demand. So if you tell a child, say hi, you're not teaching them to say hi. You're teaching them to see the world through your eyes, right? But children learn to say hi because they see you say hi and because they process a new person through their eyes, right? And if you know a toddler, they have stranger anxiety. Why would they say hi to somebody new, right? They're just exploring the world and their exploration of the world is not people. The exploration of the world is the physical environment. They're not social beings. They're not interested in playing with kids. They'll only approach people if they have developed the wherewithal and the comfort to do it themselves, but not because you told them to do it.
0: My three-year-old waves and says hi at everyone, and she gets upset when someone doesn't say hi back to her. <laughs>
1: right, but that's her initiative.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: Right. So the key here is that we we want to teach children by example. And so when I am in the office and I'm out in public with kids, I'll literally say to a kid, I'm going to say hi. And then I watch them process it because their beings, their spirits are not processing the way ours are. Hmm. So they have to take time. They have to be suspicious. They have to look at their parents. They have to feel through that process. And so parents will then say to the kids, say goodbye to Dr. Larry. And I'm like, no, don't say goodbye to me. So I'll demonstrate how I get kids to say goodbye. I'll literally look at the kid and say, okay, I'm going to say goodbye now. And 99.9 out of a hundred times, the kid says goodbye to me because I spoke in a related way. I'm going to say goodbye to you versus I'm going to tell you what to do. Because kids operate in honest relationship. They don't operate in demands. Mm. Get over there. Stop that. Come over here. Eat that. Get to bed. Nobody does that. That's just, this, that's just, that's the same as stop yelling, calm down. Mm. And so nurturing the spirit of the child requires us to speak to children in a related way and learn how to speak to each other in a related way. You know, one of the examples I use, Lauren, is, you know, somebody will bring you over to a picture and say, isn't this a nice picture? Well, they're not really giving you an opportunity to have your own view, right? Mm -hmm. They're not giving you a chance to have a, a, a view of the world through your eyes, Because you're basically being said, you're basically being asked, agree with me, see the world through my eyes. Mm -hmm. But if you said to somebody, I really like this picture, what do you think? You're giving the person an opportunity to be a separate individual and relate to you with an answer. And so most of what I like to do with it ain't enough to not vaccinate is to really empower parents to start doing the inner work of relating differently and understanding who children are at different ages Mm -hmm. because they'll understand different language at different ages and they'll understand different methods at different ages. And so the other day I was in the office and a child, a -a two-and-a-half-year-old boy was very upset because he couldn't go out of the office. And I looked at him and I said, I know, buddy, this is tough. And the mother wanted to redirect him by giving him something he liked. And I looked at her and I said, why are you doing that? Because essentially the mother wanted to take away his discomfort. And I don't want to take away kids' discomforts. I want kids to understand that there are discomforts in life. And discomforts begin, they have a middle, and they end, and they go away. And once children can understand that discomforts exist, but they don't last, they can learn how to cope with life better. But if you come in in the middle and take away the middle and end of the resolution of the discomfort, they'll never learn how to cope with the fact that life doesn't last in discomfort. It actually, you wake up all of a sudden, you realize, oh, the discomfort is over, I can move on. And we don't allow children to have that because we only prefer that they have comforts. So when you skew life away from discomfort and only create comfort, you cripple the kid's ability to deal with real life. And you don't allow the ebb and flow of life, right? So they'll always look for the fix of their discomfort because you taught them that when they're uncomfortable, they're going to get pacified or medicated or save with some kind of fix. And then they'll never realize that they can actually resolve their discomfort through their own process, and then wake up and go, oh, okay, life's okay, I was able to get through that. Mm. And build the foundation of resilience and the resources to deal with discomfort. And so one time I actually, I said to a mother, um, do you realize that if you're eating a chocolate cake and you were very comfortable in that chocolate cake, and in the beginning you were so excited to eat that chocolate cake, and after two bites I took the cake away from you, you wouldn't be happy because I wasn't going to give you a beginning, middle, and end of your comfort? Because, you know, once the comfort is over, it's like, okay, that was good, I'll move on. Although for some people, they want another piece and another piece and another piece, right? But that piece of cake after the comfort is over, all right, so the comfort didn't last. I'm done. Now, Now I'll move on. But what if I took the full spectrum of the comfort away from you? What if you started the comfort and in the middle and I didn't give you the middle and the end? You'd feel cheated. Well, why are you not experience the same cheat when you take away the discomfort because we have to realize that both comfort and discomfort exist and neither lasts so if we really want to strengthen our children we want to prepare them for a life of reality which is comfort exists discomfort exists neither lasts and i'm going to build your resilience recognize that comfort doesn't last, but discomfort doesn't last either. And that you're going to navigate what it's like to have life be real. So that when you're faced with things that you really are comfortable with, you realize that you can enjoy it, but understand viscerally that it's passing. But the same thing with discomfort. So we don't place a moral judgment on comfort at the expense of getting rid of discomfort, but that we actually build resilience for both. And when you create the terrain of the body with that kind of resilience and strength, you actually are much stronger in your immune system than you think. Mm. and you know then we can look at you know what's the air quality what's the food quality what's the skincare quality what's your schedule quality what's your emotional makeup quality we can look at all those things
0: everything that pertains to the terrain and strengthening the terrain Correct. of the entire being
1: right because it ain't enough to not max
0: yeah i so agree with that i actually i have this email template that i send to people who say i'm you know I'm trying to educate myself on vaccines. Can you send me any information? And I have this one email that I put together of loads of resources. And um, and one of the things I say there is, you know, conscious parenting, you know, parent your children with a conscious approach. You know, be in a calm environment. We have to have their, their nervous systems you know, the cortisol levels can't be too high all the time and children around a lot of stress and a lot of trauma that's going to impact. Um, and yeah, all these things, like you say, you know, it's not just about don't vaccinate. And, and you know, I've had. I, so this is a question. Do you think that a lot of the issue is that we do live in this age of convenience and mm-hmm. parents are a lot busier these days than, you know, our grandparents time where the, the, the mother w- was expected to stay at home? and parent the children and, and be there. Whereas, you know, we're very, we lead very busy lives and it's much easier to just, you know, put and freeze a meal in the oven or in the microwave. And do you think it's a lot to do with that? Because from what I, from a lot of the people I speak to, this is often what I get, you know, but I don't have time to cook or it's too difficult to, to install that water filter system or whatever it might be.
1: Well, I mean, you ask a a really, really profound question because the whole consciousness awareness around COVID-19 is about that. It's about coming back to the basics of life and realize that we have overextended ourselves regarding pleasures and conveniences and we've gotten away we got, we've gotten away from what is in our highest good, what's most important for us. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten entrenched with pleasures and needs have taken a back seat, but desires have taken a front seat. Well, I want that, right? I want to be able to go to the theater. I want to be able to go to a restaurant. I want to be able to go to a concert. I want to be able to, right, rather than to look back and say, well, wait a second. What's really most important for my health, Mm. right? I'm putting an injection of this material into my body just so that I can go to a restaurant so I can get permission from the overlords to eat in a place. Well, I'm putting myself at great risk and I'm challenging my highest good by doing it. Because what is in my highest good is to preserve uh, the sanctity and the, and the uh, health of my body. And so we have been bypassing what's in our highest need for a long time. And so the whole COVID-19 um, episode on a consciousness level is about coming back to what's in our highest good about what's in our our greatest need. And to really look at our desires and our our, our yearnings and our wants, and I can't live without. Mm. Because we've overextended ourselves. We've gone way beyond. Well, I want that, I have to live with that. So So when you see a kid who's in the room and can't go out the door because we're having a session, And he responds as, if I don't get out of this door, I'm going to die. And then we say, yes, you will. Here, let me make it better for you. We're teaching the, I will die if I don't get what I want. And the thing is, is that that's, that's the physiology of an infant brain, Lauren. An infant brain operates under, I want, I don't get, I'll die and what we're watching in the world is the same thing in adults i want and if i don't get i'll die mm. and so we're watching our adults operate in the infant brain whereas the front brain the mammalian brain the higher brain centers are huh i got to i got to really address this i got to think this through I have to see, you know, really, I have to weigh my odds here. I have to look at all of what's in my best interest, what's in my highest good. I have to reason. I have to think. I have to analyze. I have to tap into my higher good. And we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is tapping into our lower good, which is what an infant does. If I don't get this, I'll die. So we're, we're in our pleasure centers, which is our hindbrain, which is our reptilian brain and mammalians are not meant to remain operating in the in the hindbrain in the in the reptilian brain we're meant to actually operate in the higher brain unless there's an emergency mm. right so so we're watching the deterioration of the mammalian brain for the sake of pleasure and desire and addiction and yearning that has taken the front seat to wait a second. What's really in my higher good? What's to the what? What's the greatest optimal uh, decision here? And again, if you if you take away all discomforts when you're bringing up your kids, you will teach them that what they want is something that they can always get. And that that's the road to life is I want, I get, and I won't die, but then you're always wanting and getting.
0: And also at what cost, you know, at what cost are we doing that? I, I had um, a mom once say to me, you know, I didn't really want to do the chicken pox vaccine, but I just, I just don't have the time for my kids to get chicken pox. So I'm going to do it for that reason. Right. And, um, that that's obviously understandable coming from a place of not understanding what's in that vaccine and what harm that can do. Or
1: or what the benefit of the chickenpox illness is.
0: Right. right. So but that but this is where people are operating from.
1: Right. So, well that's so, a reptilian brain.
0: Yeah. Well, we don't actually know at what price. What right. price well, do we pay for that pleasure or that convenience?
1: Right. Well, here's what's happened. Um Over the generations, we've lost the messages passed down from great-grandma to grandma to mom to daughter of how to care for your kid when your kid is sick, what to use, how how to understand your children in that way. And so the authority outside of us has taken over. So the medical authorities, the media authorities, the science authorities, the government authorities, they have all become the grandma. Mm. And so the, the knowledge, the folklore has all been removed because the state has said, we know better. And so we have parents and many several generations of parents who really don't have the tools to understand how to take care of their kids when their kids are sick or what to do when kids need certain foods or what foods they need at certain times of the year or um, how to actually nurture them through certain situations. Mm. Because we've stripped the intuition and the experience of the parents um, with the state's intervention in its place. And so most learning happens through experience and then through ownership of that experience so that then you can pass that knowledge on to the next generation who can then go through those experiences and own it for themselves. Mm -hmm. That ownership has been displaced by the external uh, authority of the state. And that's, again, one of the reasons we're in this mess, because Mm -hmm. we have given our authority over to the state so much that we have failed to do the inner work to check in and say, well, what do I think? And what's my research show? And what's my thinking? And what do I do to figure it out by myself? or what does my intuition say but we've lopped out we've lopped off those two aspects of ownership intuition and experience in favor of the external authority that's going to say well this is how you do it oh okay
0: yeah
1: that's no different than say hi to dr larry yeah right you don't give ownership to the person to discover and figure out and that's why you say, "Is this a life of convenience?" It is because <clears throat> figuring it out yourself takes too much time, and you'd rather not develop the ownership of it. You'd rather just find some answer somewhere so that you can move on. You don't want to do it yourself.
0: But what I am seeing, kind of on the flip side, that's nice, is because of the gravity of you know these measures and the way things have been going, it has pulled some people back to this and we're creating beautiful communities around the world where I know in my own community you know we've got our what we call our inner circle you know our little tribe and anytime someone's sick or someone's kids sick everyone's giving everyone all all the folklore you know all the the old ancient wisdom use, use this herb you know this remedy uh, one of the girls in our group makes her own colloidal silver. One grows aloe vera. One, You know, like we're all, we'll all we take stuff around to everyone. And I'm seeing a lot more of that. And I'm get, having a lot more people get in touch with me saying that they're, you know, this has made them question. And so they're right. coming back to that. So I think that's also a positive.
1: No, I and I've seen that too. But we had to get to what I described in order for those people who were willing to Take ownership to wake Mm. up. Yeah, right. You have to get to the point where you realize I've relied on you, and now I don't trust you. And if Mm. I don't trust you, where am I going to get my knowledge from? Mm. Well, I have to do some inner work here to get that knowledge. I'm going to have to check in with my intuition. I'm going to have to figure things out myself, which Mm. goes back to the the two and a half year old. Yeah. I'm going to have to figure out how to get through discomfort in the presence of my parents and then figure out moving on is okay. Yeah. And And so that's why we can't feed the kid. Oh, do this and you'll feel better. Don't let the discomfort stay.
0: I think this is great for parents to hear that, you know, as opposed to just all the technical stuff with vaccines. We're talking about this and it's important because we need to understand what goes into, like you say, it ain't enough not to vaccinate. Right. And right. I think that's just such an important thing for parents to hear. If any parents who are questioning it right now want more information. It's up to us as parents to take responsibility for this decision and where we take it as a result of that. And so I think this is some really great information.
1: I mean, let's summarize something really fast for your audience. Number one, not one vaccine ingredient has ever been tested for safety by injecting it into the human body. Number two, none of the vaccine ingredients have ever been tested for safety when they're in the, the vial together and injected mm-hmm. into the body. Number three, all of the vaccine manufacturers are, have complete immunity to any liability for their product. Number four, Nobody is overseeing the manufacturing process. Number five, no one has done their due diligence to evaluate the safety of these shots, which was part of the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act, where HHS, the Health and Human Services, was assigned the task of every two years writing a report that updated the American public on their investigation on the safety updates of the vaccines. Not one report has been written. Well, here we are in 2021 and not one since 1986. That's 36, 35 years. Um, number, number five, six, what am I on, six? Number six, um, no long-term studies have ever been done on what happens to the body once these materials are injected. Number seven, vaccines are supposed to cause inflammation in the body. That's their role. But does that inflammation continue? And if it does continue, for how long does it continue? And if it does continue, what are the manifestations of that ongoing inflammation? Knowing full well that more than half of children in the world today have some form of chronic illness, which means they have chronic inflammation, which means the question must be asked, are these shots creating chronic inflammation in our kids? Number eight. I'm not allowed to ask those questions. What kind of society allows for uh, a non uh, the inability to question something scientifically? Then it's no longer science. It's dogma and it's obey, obedience to the state. Yes. Number 10, there are ingredients in the shots that are known to cause neurological damage. And the vaccine manufacturers actually know it. Number 11, all studies showing the damaging effects of vaccines have been censored by the very companies who won't allow anybody to do studies of their vaccines other than themselves. I can keep going on, but I just want (laughs) to lay that out initially. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But great points and, you know, a, a great a great way for people to kind of home in on just that, um, the generalization of all those questions. Why aren't we asking those questions? Right. Um,
1: Lauren, so- I once asked a group of pediatricians, do vaccine ingredients get into the brain? And they never answered. They diverted the question. They said something else. They And I said, well, you have all these kids with neurological issues, one in five in the United States have neurodevelopmental disability. Something's happening to their brain. But One it's of, listed
0: on the package inserts.
1: Right. Do vaccine ingredients get into the brain? No answer. No answer. They don't want to answer. Mm. Yeah. And they do, by the way. They do.
0: We know they do. And I think it's also it's also up to us as parents to ask the question, to, to look into our intuitions and to come back to our intuitions and check right. in with our higher selves and understand that, they're, they're, that, that we... We do have that ability to check back in with our intuition. It is a right. thing. It is a real thing that we've lost touch of or lost touch with. And we have to get back to that in order to know what's best for my child, not what someone else right. is telling me to do based on what the pharmaceutical industry needs or wants. Right. Um, and I just think that's the most important thing for right. parents to do.
1: Have and also a look- remember, remember that an unvaccinated child is not a danger. No. That myth is also something that needs to be exploded. Because if anyone says your unvaccinated child is a danger to my vaccinated child, then you are not thinking. And the reason you're not thinking is if your child is vaccinated, then why are you worried about not being protected? (laughs) And number two, if your child is vaccinated, do you believe that the germ is no longer carried in your child's body and that the only way that that germ could anywhere be in society is if someone is unvaccinated? Because if you believe that you haven't thought through anything and you're just parroting the external authority because they're telling you a bunch of lies because the vaccines do not make the germ disappear from your children's bodies. And this is what I said earlier in the podcast, this idea that a vaccine makes the germ disappear, eradicates the presence of the germ in your body has never been proven and actually has no basis in any scientific fact at all. So those of you who are walking around saying, well, your unvaccinated person is a danger to me, is you don't know what you're talking about. You actually don't sound very smart. You actually sound like you're just swallowing what someone else said to you without any thought at all. And when president of our United States says, we want to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated co-workers, he's- Where's the logic? He's perpetuating that lie because we want to protect vaccinated workers. You've already vaccinated them, Mm, which supposedly protects them. That should give you protection. And then you're saying that the vaccinated are not protected because the unvaccinated are somehow germ carriers, which means that you honestly believe that those who've been vaccinated no longer can pass the germ on to other people. I'm sorry, guys. Get your heads out of the sand. None of that has any basis in scientific fact at all.
0: I still have so many questions. <laughs> the ones that I, that you hear the most is from the older generation that echoes down through the older generation to the younger generation. But what about polio? If you lived in my day and you saw what polio caused, you would make sure right. to vaccinate your children.
1: Okay, so I would ask you to read the book Dissolving illusions
0: Illusions by Suzanne
1: Humphreys (laughs) and you will understand that everything you've been told about what you think happened during the polio epidemic may not be everything that really happened. And the smallpox. Just read it. Yeah. Read it. Do your research and open up your heart to the possibility that what you're saying is only what you're saying because somebody delivered the information to you, but you never took ownership of it because you didn't do the work yourself to know the answer. Go ahead. What else?
0: Absolutely. The six in one baby vaccines. Go. (laughs) What about them? Oh, I hear a lot of people say, I'm not going to do the MMR, but I'm going to do the baby vaccines. I I don't even know where the logic is there, but the idea of taking six
1: and putting it in
0: one tiny baby, how?
1: again? Remember that, That um, no safety, no efficacy, no oversight, Um, the materials in the shots can cause autoimmunity, they can cause immunological issues, they can cause neurological issues. Um, And remember that you're injecting material into the body that you're assuming your child couldn't possibly already have been exposed to or that any of the genetic material of the bacteria and viruses that you're injecting couldn't be matching other materials that exist in your body that you could then develop an autoimmune disease from.
0: So it's the same thing from what we've spoken about with all of them. Is it that the younger the baby, the more dangerous it could be because the baby hasn't had time to allow its immune system to mature?
1: Well, not only that, but the blood-brain barrier is still maturing. Mm. And the the thing to really understand is that a baby has the fastest cellular growth than at any other time. And so you bring toxins in, you actually will not only impair the growth of those cells, but you will stop them very quickly. Mm. And so you will just not develop certain areas of the body including the brain, you will will halt neurological development. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing so many kids with neurodevelopmental disabilities. That doesn't mean that you're better off getting it later because the materials can still go into the brain and cause halting of brain uh, function and and growth. Um, You know, the, the human brain is constantly changing And every one of these shots has materials in them that can cross the blood-brain barrier. And not one vaccine ingredient belongs in the brain. Not one. And yet they are getting into the brain. And even if your kid looks fine, they're still getting into the brain. Well, this is
0: the thing when people say, well, my kids are fine. And, And I'm always like, well, let's look at what's fine. How many ear infections have they had? How many times have you put them on antibiotics? How many... You know, even even parents whose children have got, you know, even if it's minor neurological issues, that that's
1: not fine. Well, the the thing is that um, when people say, I got the shot and I'm fine, Mm -hmm. the next thing that I say is, how do you know? Yeah, because you have no real understanding of what happens in the body. And there's a field of science called transgenerational epigenetics. And the fancy terminology that I just said actually means that scientists in the last 20 years have been doing studies on animals and on humans to understand what happened to great grandma can actually still affect a great-grandchild, mm. even if whatever that great-grandma was exposed to was never re-exposed to each generation going down. Mm. And so Michael Skinner is a scientist who's done studies on this where um, you know the pregnant mouse was given a certain toxin and the mice were born, and then two, three, four generations down the mice that were the the exposed in utero to that toxin actually showed the side effects of that toxin even though the next several generations down had not been reexposed to the toxin mm-hmm. that's called transgenerational epigenetics and so when you say well i was sh- i'm given a shot and i'm fine you don't know what material enters your your sperm and your eggs sits there and then gets passed from generation to generation. And the reason we're seeing so many kids with such disastrous uh, chronic illnesses is because that transgenerational epigenetics was because each generation received the exposure over and over again, and we passed that down. Mm -hmm. And what people are not even aware of is the number of disastrous Babies that are being born after the COVID 19 injection, the birth defects and the neurological problems and the rashes that babies are already showing after being exposed to the COVID injection in utero, if the babies actually live that long. So, this idea of, well, I didn't get an effect, therefore no effect happened, is quite uh, small brained because it doesn't understand. That just because you don't see a reaction doesn't mean there wasn't a reaction that's festering, that's lingering, because we have no evidence of what happens to these materials once they're injected into the body, period. There's no study anywhere that understands the full scope of what happens to these materials once they're injected into the body, where they go, where they stay, how they're transmitted, how they're passed from generation to generation. Nothing, zero understanding, other than to extrapolate from what we're seeing clinically and what we're seeing in the scientific literature about passing of toxins and stressors from generation to generation.
0: And it's like you said to me last time, you know, with the COVID injection, we're going to see things happening between six and 24 months after people have had it. And what I'm seeing now is just loads of people six months later had a stroke had a heart attack, having chest pain, something weird happening in their leg and they can't walk properly. Well, well, did they have the COVID injection? Yeah, but that was ages ago, so it can't be connected.
1: Right, again, (laughs) right. Even though though scientists are showing that when they look at the blood of those who've gotten the injection, it's showing abnormalities Mm -hmm. of their red blood cell shapes and sizes. They're showing abnormalities of the white blood cells they're showing abnormalities of the platelets, they're showing clotting inside the blood vessels, and they're showing foreign material that are flo- that's floating in the blood, which we now know is coming from the shots because we're now understanding that there are materials in the shots that are probably purposely put there that are very nefarious, devious, and very nasty contaminants. That seem to be there on purpose because we're we're studying the, the the ingredients and we're seeing what looks like even parasites inside the injections. Yeah. It's not just one vial. It's like the people are doing this uh, assessment around the world, and the biggest problem here, Lauren, is the understanding. Well, they would never do that. They, they, would, right. Never. Right. they would never do that. Well, read history, guys. Joseph Mengele was just the tip of the iceberg from World War II in Nazi Germany, based on what's happening today.
0: Yeah, I saw that video of the parasites, that little black thing. Um, So I was going to ask about allergies and SIDS as well, but it just all falls under the same thing, right? It's just everything you've said is the same. So, you know, if anyone, your kids have allergies and they've developed that, it's an autoimmune response.
1: I've already spoken about allergies, you know, because some Of those autoimmune reactions are allergies. Yeah. But you know, people are not aware that there's dairy protein in the shots, there's mm-hmm. gluten protein in the shots, there's egg protein in the shots, there's nut protein in the shots, there's soy protein in the shots. And I once brought this to the attention of um of a member of the WHO who sits on the big shot vaccine uh councils, and he said, Oh, come on, there's just such a small amount in there. You don't think that's really you know, to blame for all the allergies. And I said, yeah, because all you need is that food protein to attach to the adjuvant. And the immune system is going to see that food protein as a real bad foreign enemy and mount an immune response against it. Mm-hmm. So your immune system is going to prepare itself to see any of those food proteins as enemies, mm-hmm. which is what's happening. Yeah. Because over the last 30 years, we have seen massive increases in fatal allergies. And you and
0: can't, how can people? This is what <laughs> I don't understand is that when I was in school, I didn't know anyone who had a fatal nut allergy. And when my mom was in school, she didn't know it. There was no one, you didn't hear of it. Right. So, why, you know, I always wonder the parents of children who have got these severe allergies, do they look at it and go, okay. Let's look at, you know, in my son's school, there are just loads of them. You know, they're not allowed nuts, they're not allowed sesame, they're not, because there are so many children
1: with very, very severe fatal allergies. What would happen if a parent stepped back and said, are there really food allergies coming from the shots? You'd have to get really angry. You'd have to realize that you made a decision that might have hurt your kids. You'd have to realize that your authority wasn't to be trusted. You'd have to realize that your authority might have lied to you.
0: Yeah. But so and- be it. My, that's what my mom did. Right. You know, she had to look at that and go, well, did this happen? Doesn't mean it's her fault. She didn't know any better, but we can learn and we can look at something and go, there is information being presented to us that seems interesting. And I need to take a look at this and I'm right. not going to blame at, myself.
1: But-, but look at what happens, Lauren, because people would then have to take accountability and responsibility mm. and realize that they fail. And that's a huge leap. And the key is not to wallow in the failure or the lack of accountability and responsibility. The key is to take action. Right. Key is to heal it. You know, do your due diligence. Realize what decisions you made based on trusting an authority that really wasn't having your best interest at heart and then doing something about it. Yeah. And And we
0: know that homeopathic detoxes work and there are many ways to heal from these things.
1: Some of them, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, not the severe, very severe uh, cases of, but, uh, you know, we've seen great leaps with homeopathic detoxes, you know, at least reducing the symptoms.
1: Sure.
0: I could talk to you for days, <laughs> but we will wrap up. I just think that generally we've covered so much that anyone who is kind of new to this or maybe starting to think about it, or maybe the parents who have vaccinated one child or pregnant with another, they'll be listening to this going, okay, that really is all the information I need. And like you said, to read, Dr. Suzanne Humphrey's Dissolving Illusions is a must read. So I did this last time, but we'll do it again. The uh, the five quick fire questions. I'm going to give you five new questions. You up for it? Go for it. Awesome. What profession other than your own would you like to try?
1: My dream when I was a kid was to do theater.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Me too. Which three to five people should we all be following right now for guidance on what's going on out there?
1: um I think uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Richard Fleming, the five docs that I'm doing with Dr. Tenpenny, Dr. Merritt, Dr. Maday, and Dr. Northrop mm-hmm. and um, you know Robert Malone also is you know coming along with his recommendations. Dr. Zelenko.
0: awesome one thing you know to be absolutely true that most people would disagree with.
1: That vaccines are safe.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. And lastly, do you have any regrets?
1: I regret that I never learned how to play piano.
0: It's so funny. You've just said the theater thing and that the piano, we're just um, renovating a new house at the moment and i looking on the plans. Where can I put a piano? Because that's on my bucket list to learn the piano. Well,
1: that's the biggest. I regret that I never learned how to play piano.
0: I'm glad that's your biggest regret.
1: I would sit and uh, I would sit and play and sing all day long.
0: But it's never too late.
1: It is never too late. That's true.
0: Thank you so much. It's thank so great to mind. see you again, and thank you for all your work. And hopefully, we'll catch up soon.
1: Great, appreciate it. Be well. You too. Bye.
0: Bye. This episode of Reconditioned was brought to you with support by London's leading biological dentistry clinic. The Indu Clinic in Harley Street, a -a one-of-a-kind clinic that combines biological dentistry with functional medicine to optimize not only your dental health, but your general well-being. Using practices such as safe mercury removal, removal of root canals and hidden infections, treatment of inflammation, treatment of cavitations, and much more. Visit nduclinic.com and receive 10% off your initial consultation and any scans or hygienist appointment By letting them know you came through Lauren on the Recondition podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Reconditioned today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.